Hello. Hello. <laughs> I'm Savannah. And I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. We have an audience today. We have friends. <laughs> we have friends with us. Can you believe it? Mom, I have friends. <laughs> oh my gosh. So today is our Halloween special. Yes. And hopefully you've read the show notes and seen that in this episode, we're collabing with Gore Report. Welcome, guys. Yes. Thank you for having us. I'm so excited. We are so thrilled. This is a dream come true. A dream come true for a lot of our listeners because we have a lot of mutual listeners. Yes, yes, we do. It is absolutely fantastic, man. I'm <laughs> telling you. <laughs> and oh my gosh, shout out to Heather for drawing this case for us. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. This was so cool. <laughs> yes, we love Heather. We absolutely love Heather. We love seeing her art. She's been a listener of ours for quite some time, so she's dope. <laughs> All the hearts for Heather. All the hearts. Oh, yes. she's so awesome. So awesome. So that thank was so you. so cool. So cool. All right. So in this episode, I'm going to tell the lovely story of the man who killed Halloween, or some might know him as the Candyman. And then, Ray, why don't you let us know what you're going to cover? Yes. So I have a very spooky story for everybody. I will be talking about the black-eyed children phenomenon. Oh. oh. The creep vibes are so strong. We should introduce you guys. So you just heard Officially. Ray. <laughs> and the other baritone voice you hear over there is yes. Gage. Nice to meet you, Burden of Proof listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so after you finish with this episode, you can head on over to Gore Report, where Gage and I will be talking about some spooky stuff. I'm going to be talking about the demon house of Gary, Indiana. And what are you talking about, Gage? Ooh. I will be talking about the very famed Bell Witch Haunting. I'm so excited about this. It's a very crazy story. I love it so much. It's definitely, uh, she's about to be giving old ye conjuring. (laughs) For sure. Yes. Awesome. I know so much about this case. I'm so excited to hear you say it. Yes. I'm so excited. I'm teaming with it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> nice. All right. Are we ready? Yes. I would say we All are right. very ready to embrace the spook. Ready to jump in, run in, dive cough in, in cough dive in. in. <laughs> I am ready to run my face smack dab into the wall. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, well, I'm sure you've all heard the warnings to always check your candy after trick-or-treating. I have. I've always oh, thought definitely. it was stupid. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> I mean, the belief that Halloween not only brings out the ghosts and goblins, but psychopaths that want to murder children. <laughs> well, I can see her crazy eyes. It's really become a part of American culture. I agree. Whether you believe it to be nothing more than an urban legend or are convinced there are nefarious neighbors out there, 
just waiting to watch the children drop like flies. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, no. There is one horrific case that many believe to be the cause of these fears. Ronald Clark O'Brien, otherwise known as the man who killed Halloween, was what every good husband and father should be, or at least that's what many people thought. We see that so much in true crime, like the white picket fence family. Yes. And then it turns out just to be really, really awful. Yes. (laughs) I hate that that's such a thing, but it is. Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy. I mean, the list goes on. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. He and his wife, Daneen, had two children, Timothy and Elizabeth. In 1974, they moved to the middle-class suburb of Deer Park, Texas. And Ronald worked as an optician, and they attended a Baptist church. He was respected amongst those who knew him in Deer Park, and their pastor is quoted as stating that he was a good Christian man and an above-average father. Okay. Oh. <laughs> he's, he's past bare minimum. Oh, oh that just makes me uncomfortable. Uh, we say this on our show all the time, but the vibes are very unlikable. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uncomfortable, yeah. Uncomfortable, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> this wasn't exactly the full scope of reality, though. While Ronald may have been seemingly upstanding, he also had a sordid job history. He was reportedly fired from as many as 21 different jobs in the previous 10 years due to negligence or fraudulent actions. Do you know how long his resume must be? (laughs) I do because I've had probably that many jobs myself, but I've not been fired from that many jobs. (laughs) Yeah, that's the difference. I think being fired is what makes it weird. Right, right. So it's speculated that his employer at the time, Texas State Optical, also suspected him of stealing and was on the brink of firing him. Despite selling their home to rent a townhome and apply the proceeds towards their debt, Ronald was still behind in payments on several loans. Oof. I never understand that. Like, he just, it doesn't keep working out. Like, it keeps failing, so stop. It sounds like Ronald needs to make double up on his duties. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Second job, Ronnie. Get a second job. Well, no, because then he'd just get fired (sighs) twice. That's true. (laughs) He probably would. So upon being denied several other loans and rejected by an associate to borrow money, Ronald thought he found the answer when he joined a program at the bank that entitled everyone in his family to a small life insurance policy. Oh, no. Not the life insurance policy. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. So bad. Despite Daneen's protests that they couldn't afford the premiums, he signed up, gaining $10,000 of coverage on each of them. Then months later, he went against the advice of a life insurance agent and purchased more policies covering each of his children and only his children 
for an additional $20,000 without his wife's knowledge. Wow. I see that look you're giving. I see it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you smell a divorce? Yes. Because I smell one. I smell a big one. So when your life insurance agent tells you... (laughs) that too. Yeah, children don't need that much. This is silly. Why would you spend the money? Uh... Run. (laughs) (laughs) Just just run. They should report that to the police. Life insurance agent should have been like... Mm, this, this guy is a little weird. This is questionable. Yeah. Yes. Bad vibes. Bad vibes. Extremely well, bad vibes. Bad vibes and bad practice. Nobody did. Nobody called. And Danine did not find out. Uh-oh. At least not then. Oh, no. So I kind of forgot we were a true crime podcast for a minute. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I was like, what's going to happen? <laughs> You guys are awesome. So in the couple of months leading up to Halloween, Ronald conducted some recon work, if you will, by talking to several individuals about cyanide and made inquiries about purchasing a small amount. Dun, dun, dun. Nobody should ever be asking about cyanide. Ever. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. Apparently... This is a side note. I don't have it in my notes because it I, it was a deep dive. The whole cyanide conversation could have <laughs> we could have been here all night. But apparently, it wasn't super weird. Like he worked at a chemical plant at one point okay. or something like that. So he just went there and talked to somebody, one of his former coworkers or something. Yeah. Uh, and so it didn't seem super out of place at okay. the time. But of course, after all is said and done, of course that. Former coworkers well, like you know, well, hindsight shit. is twenty twenty. <laughs> gotcha, yes. gotcha. So on October twenty third, he met with a representative at a credit union where he held a past due loan. Ronald requested an extension, stating he was expecting a large sum of money by the end of the year, and would be able to pay it the loan in full then. Oh God, that is way too foreboding. And also, banks in general are creepy. Right. So this isn't helpful. <laughs> it's just... Uh... I have a thing with banks, you guys. Oh, she has a thing with bankers. <laughs> I have a thing with bankers. I think that bankers tend to be... They're vampires, in my opinion. Right, right. I've never met a normal banker. Not at all. Ever. I can say the very same. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> I know some very weird bankers. <laughs> so to clarify for our listeners i don't think that all bankers are actually vampires i just think it's a funny joke (laughs) it's just it's just a joke that came up a a few years ago (laughs) that came up in real life and anyway my point is banks are creepy and the world agrees with me so yes like maybe it totally is a joke or maybe we totally do think they're vampires but then again it really is just a joke the world will just never know. Exactly. Just never know our true feelings. <laughs> My feelings on bankers are ambiguous. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> I'm like that uh, teacher you had that's like, well, you'll never know my political views. And then we always knew. <laughs> that is awesome. All right. So he's at the bank. He asked for the extension. He's expecting money. 
We know that. A large sum. A large sum of money by the end of the year, to be exact. He goes home, and for the first time ever, Ronald expressed excitement in taking the kids trick-or-treating for Halloween. Oh, uh, uh, no. Mm-mm. Oh, man, I really don't like this at all. My stomach is dropping through my asshole. <laughs> <laughs> No. He surprised them with costumes two weeks before the big day and made arrangements for them to have dinner and go trick-or-treating with their friends, the Bates family. <laughs> the Bates family are actually good. I'm going to say it right now. Okay. Because. I was going to say. <laughs> but Bates. But I did find that hilarious that it, it just happened Bates. to be the Bates family. <laughs> Ray, I'm dying. Did they live? In a hotel. In the back of a motel. <laughs> No, they didn't. (laughs) Okay. So Halloween evening finally arrived, and after work, Ronald met Danine and the kids at the Bates' home. The families ate dinner as planned, but due to inclement weather, one of the Bates' children decided not to participate in trick-or-treating. Nevertheless... Ronald and Jimmy Bates took the rest of the kids, three in total, down a couple of the neighboring streets. When they arrived to 4112 Donrail Drive, Ronald walked to the door with the children while Jimmy hung back on the sidewalk. They rang the bell, regardless of the home being dark, as if no one was there. That's like a no-no. Like, you know the rules on Halloween. If the street lights aren't, if the porch light isn't on, don't ring the doorbell. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's like a Halloween no-no. That's a yep. universal rule. And according to Jimmy, when no one answered the door, the kids impatiently ran to the next house. But Ronald stood on the porch for another mm, 30 seconds or so. Jimmy claimed that he saw no one answer the door, but when Ronald caught up to them... He was swinging a few giant pixie sticks around, exclaiming, the rich neighbors were giving away the good candy. Savannah's face. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yes. And this is so sad. Like, this is just a normal thing for a kid to do, and this guy's ruining it. Right. And I'm also just like, are pixie sticks really good candy? (laughs) Yes. I also had the same thought. Pixie sticks are definitely like a D-tier candy. That was like, that was my first question, like, unfortunately. Yes. Asking the right questions. I will say, because this was in the 70s, so I will say I'm the oldest one here. I'm the elder. (laughs) (laughs) I will say back then, a giant pixie stick was... Good kid. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Because it wasn't until I was like an older kid that people started handing out like good chocolate. What were they handing out? Like cheap chocolate suckers. I love <laughs> <a good> sucker. <laughs> oh, like them laffy taffies and them tootsie rolls and them laffy. Yeah, sometimes you get like some kind of taffy. The worst was when they'd give you salt water taffy. Yeah, that sucks. That was terrible. <laughs> But I love salt water taffy. I'm so old. 
I do like salt water. I like, like salt water taffy, but like as a kid, as a little kid at Halloween, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> right, right. She's over there shaking her head like, no, ma'am. Do not give me salt water <laughs> All right. Well, just to make sure everybody knows my opinion, the best Halloween candy is a Snickers bar. I do like Snickers. And then it's a Twix and then it's me. a Kit Kat and then something like a Pixie. Nice. Interesting. Wait, 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 wait. I'm so sorry. Reese's comes before Twix. Oh, I, I can, I can get behind that. Yeah. There's my correct opinion. There you go. Reese's is up there for me. Yes, yeah, same. I'm not sure. But only the pumpkin-shaped ones. Yes. Why are they so much better? <laughs> They're so much better. <laughs> they really are. They really, truly are. They, I know why. It's because the chocolate is like a little bit thicker. Yeah. Like it's better. a little extra the chocolate. ratios are better. Oh my god! Now the, I well, want the some trees, Reese's. the trees are the best of yeah. The any of shapes. the shapes, any of the shapes are better than original. And fight me. Meanwhile, my diabetic ass is over here going. Hmm. It'll all <laughs> kill me. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. If it makes you feel any better, I I am pre-diabetic, and if I don't cut cut it out, my doctor says I'll be type two fairly soon. <laughs> So, oh no, I, I have been trying to be better. Um, but final word on Reese's if y'all haven't seen or tried them, hunt them down and try them. The Reese's cups with the Reese's yes! puffs inside, with the Reese's puffs in them. <gasps> Get them, excuse me, they are delicious. Is that really a thing? That is really a thing. Oh, sir. would I lie about chocolate? <laughs> I, Holy does shit. Does this body look like it lies about chocolate? <laughs> Savannah! I'm going to end up in the ER tonight. I see that no, right no, now. No, 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 We must find it. Have y'all watched 30 Rock? I have, yeah. I have not. Okay, so there's an Neither episode where Jack is like, I forget if he's like dieting or he's a whatever, but Jack... Her boss is not eating steak or not eating red meat. I oh, think I it was after his heart attack and he can't yes. eat red meat. And so he makes Liz Lemon eat a steak dinner in front of him and just Oh my goodness. <laughs> and like describe it. <laughs> He's like, tell me. Holy moly. <laughs> tell me all about it. How many times did you chew that? <laughs> <laughs> this is a tangent. Just do that. It's a funny tangent. Let it be. No, it's hilarious. Anybody else need to rank Halloween candy? Yeah. I think we are I Gage? think we are good. You're good. We're all in agreement. Because I'm right. We're all in agreement yeah. that like basically chocolates. The best. So all the yeah. rich people yeah. were handing out the good candy, which were giant yes. pixie sticks. But back then, yes. Back then, giant pixie sticks were good candy. Today, questionable. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, people that go to cons would tell you differently. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. So Ronald distributed one of the pixie sticks to each of the children that were there. But once they arrived back to the Bates's home, he actually took them back and then he redistributed them, suddenly having enough for all of the kids, including the one that hadn't gone trick or treating with them. And he even had a fifth stick. That he basically put in with the Bates's candy that they were handing out to other kids. So it got given to another little boy who came to their home for trick-or-treating. Goodness. My God. Trying to remove. This is a suspicious number of pixie sticks. Mm -hmm. Right. 
But I have a feeling he's trying to remove any type of guilt or blame on himself by distributing it out that yeah, way. Exactly. Yep. So a- after the O'Briens left the Bates' house, Ronald took the kids home and Daneen stopped at another friend's house for a visit. Timothy and Elizabeth got ready for bed, but like all kids, they just couldn't wait to dig into their candy. The best part. Yes. It really is. This is why this is so heartbreaking to me, because that is the best part. And this crazy ass man just had to go and ruin it. Yeah. So fair warning, it's about to get really ugly. Ronald told them they could each have one thing before bed, and Timothy chose the giant pixie stick. No. The candy, which normally is heat sealed at both ends, was crudely stapled at one end, and Timothy's first attempt to dump the contents into his mouth failed because the powder was stuck, a big lump at the one end. Uh. Not to worry, though. Ronald was there to assist, and he rolled the stick across a hard surface to break up the powder. Oh, my God. Timothy tried again, taking a big gulp of the candy, and quickly complained that the candy tasted terrible. Yeah, because cyanide doesn't taste good. No problem, though. Ronald was happy to get Timothy some Kool-Aid to wash it down. Uh, uh, okay, Jim What, in Jones. the Jonestown? The, exactly, exactly. I'm right there with you. <laughs> we arrived at the same station. Yep. Shortly after, Timothy began vomiting and eventually went into convulsions. Oh, oh my God. Ronald called for an ambulance, and Timothy was taken to the local hospital, where he died just an hour later. It's horrible. Now, the fluids pumped from Timothy's stomach contained 16 milligrams of cyanide, and a test revealed a level of 0.4 milligrams in his bloodstream. So just for reference. This is absolutely horrific. Like, I am done. A fatal dose is a blood level between 0.2 and 0.3 milligrams. So he had twice as much as what would have been a fatal dose. Poor kid. Oh, my God. Is cyanide what was used in the Tylenol murders, too? I think so, right? I think it was. I'm actually not familiar with those murders. <laughs> I think that it might have been and cyanide. Like, yeah. You can fit way less cyanide in a freaking Tylenol. She's getting really worked up. Sorry. She's hitting her mic with the earbuds. I'm angry. <laughs> She's swinging them around. I'm just, he went so overkill. Yeah. Well, he had to make sure they were dead dead. Of course, all hell broke loose. Ronald told the investigators that immediately got involved that the giant pixie stick had come from trick-or-treating in the Bates family's neighborhood. Thankfully, police recovered all five of them before any other children ate them, and then they turned them over for testing. Okay, good. The lab found that all of them had been tampered with and contained fatal doses of cyanide. My- wow. My God. Initially, Ronald gave conflicting information as to where he obtained the pixie sticks, but eventually he gave them a description of a man named Courtney Melvin who lived at 4112 Donna Rail Drive. 
there was just one problem. Courtney Melvin had left for work at 1.30 that afternoon and did not arrive back home until at least 10.30 that night. Melvin's wife and kids had been the ones to pass out candy, but said that they had run out by 6.45, so they turned the lights out and stopped answering the door. Mrs. Melvin also reported that she never saw the O'Brien or Bates's children's children's <laughs> Get your children's your children's uh, while passing out candy. Police were unable to identify any home on the O'Brien slash Bates trick or treat route that handed out giant pixie sticks. And a search of the O'Brien's home turned up a pair of scissors and a knife that both appeared to have a purplish plastic substance on them uh, and crystal particles that visually matched the pixie sticks container and candy, but a lab test was unable to match the substance with certainty. Uh, Yeah, but if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck. Then chances are it's a jackalope. Yeah. (laughs) exactly yep Yep. nevertheless ronald was arrested and charged with capital murder and four counts of attempted murder he took the stand in his own defense however yeah so stupid everyone that listens to us knows how we feel about that so dumb (laughs) trust your attorneys guys However, multiple witnesses testified regarding his behavior both before and after Timothy's death. Several of the witnesses were able to testify about Ronald's admissions of money troubles and discussions about cyanide prior to Halloween, as well as his open discussions about what he planned to do with the life insurance money afterwards. Wow. Wow. (laughs) I am just, I am so blown. They also testified that in private, he never showed any grief or emotional shock about the loss of his only son. And it was only in public that he portrayed the grieving father. Jimmy Bates specifically testified that during the investigation, Ronald said he didn't see how they could pin Timothy's death on anybody. I do not understand that at all. Why would a father say that about his son's, like, murder? Exactly. He did not do much to try and cover his tracks, honestly. It's like he left, here's a little crumb. Yeah. Here's a little more crumbs. Here's the stapler. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So despite the case being largely circumstantial, it only took the jury a little over an hour of deliberation to find Ronald guilty and sentence him to death. Oh, wow. I mean, good. Good. I mean, an hour deliberation is insane. That's so fast. That's so fast. That's literally just long enough for them to read the charges, discuss what the charges mean, and be like, well, yeah, that matches. (laughs) Like, and maybe maybe they had time to eat a sandwich, too. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Maybe some Halloween candy that got checked. Oh, Um, gosh. Can you imagine? (laughs) They would have to check it. I mean, this sounds horrific to us today, but we today hear about crimes against children all the time yeah but back then i don't think it was nearly as common to hear especially something like this was not nearly as common so i'm sure they were all like yep well even if it was common they didn't have the journalists that right like you don't have access to it at your fingertips or in your pocket that's true 
So he went on to appeal several times, even twice to the Supreme Court, all of which were denied. Yeah, because you killed your kid. And Ronald Clark O'Brien was executed by lethal injection on March 31st, 1984. But the fear he instilled... In the Facebook moms? ...about trick-or-treat lives on to this day. Oh, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) I was dramatic. (laughs) I loved every moment of it. It's not a very spooky case, so I had to do what I could. (laughs) It's a great It's a great case. It's a horrific case. It is horrific because when you think about the applications of people who actually sit and plan this type of stuff out, first I'm going to get a life insurance plan, mm-hmm, and yeah. then and then this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to blame it on some random neighbor when I know that I was the dumbass that cut the pixie sticks open and put the cyanide in there. Premeditated as fuck. Premeditated as fuck. I'm a real fan. <laughs> <laughs> We did a great job covering that. Yes, good job, Alicia. Thank you. you. I absolutely hated every second of that because it's awful. (laughs) (laughs) Respectfully, I hated it. Yes. I think that's necessary. I don't think it's right if everybody feels joy. Joy and warm and fuzzy inside listening to murder cases. Like, you should feel a little angst. Right. Absolutely. I'm so mad about the man who killed Halloween. Like, like you ruined it for everybody. I know. Oh, yeah. I didn't get to go home and have candy at the end of the night because my mom had to sit there and say, no, I got to check your candy. Like, you got to look through it. Make sure there's no razor blades or yeah, knives. Yeah, and then it turned yeah. into, like, not just... And then it turned into drugs. Yeah. And- but, you know, I will say a note that's interesting. I wasn't born until 95, but growing up and hearing that, like all the time as a child, like, you know, check your candy. There's this and there's that. Considering that I didn't know this case beforehand, I just think it's kind of like, wow. Like to put it together of like where that mm-hmm. came from. It's like, it's awful. Yeah. But it's just one of those things because you do hear that all the time, or at least I very much did growing up. Like you you hear that. Yes. Well, and the good thing is that now between this case And like I mentioned, the Tylenol murders, there are so many safety precautions so that you can easily tell if things have been tampered with. So it's it's at least easy. Like I heard it growing up, too. But like, I'm sure my mom could just look at my Halloween candy strewn across the floor and was like, everything's nice and sealed. It's right. (laughs) My mom said Gucci, too. (laughs) 2006. She's like, that's Gucci. I wasn't born in 2006. I should clarify. <laughs> well, no, you wouldn't be trick or treating. <laughs> I was born in 2002. Oh, babies. You're all babies. All right, Ray. Are you ready? I'm procrastinating because right. I'm scared of this. I'm ready. I Luckily, might- my kids have blue eyes. It'll be okay. All righty. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fuck up the vibe even further. So our story today takes us to a sleepy little corner in Vermont where it had been snowing hard for several days. The fresh, crisp snow blanketed the rather large farm-like property of an elderly couple who were sound asleep in their beds. The moon shone bright in the darkness, illuminating the snow on the ground giving the appearance that the sun could rise soon, but in truth it was only 2 a.m. So the sound of persistent knocking startled the couple awake, and the elderly man rose from his bed to look out the window. 
he was wondering, you know, who could be knocking at this hour? There's no parked vehicles, not a single footprint in the snow. There was literally no evidence at all that the snow had been disturbed. So too tired to notice this, he begins to make his way downstairs and his wife follows him close behind. He walked through the hallway to the front door and opened it, and there he found two children, one boy and one girl, standing there. Both of the children were dressed in clothes from an older time period. They had haircuts that were also traditional to that older time period, and they didn't want to make eye contact with him. They had no coats, but they appeared to be undisturbed by the freezing temperatures. So speaking in a slow and deliberate manner, the boy tells the older man that their parents were coming to collect them, and he asked if they could come in for shelter from the cold while they waited. First off, that's a hard no for me. Hard no. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. No, ma'am. I'm too scared to talk. (laughs) My immediate thought is for anybody who's a parent, knows how creepy it is when you wake up in the middle of the night to like a toddler or preschool <laughs> yes. kid just staring at yes. you. Yes. <laughs> like they don't do anything to actually wake you up, but like their mere presence eventually wakes right, you and up. Then and then you wake just, up like, and you're like right Pah! in your face. What do you want? Staring at you. <laughs> Mama Frua. <laughs> yeah. That's what I thought of like the first thing that came to mind. I was like, oh no. Oh no. Yeah. No, no, no. That part of children terrify me. Yeah. Like I that makes me not want kids. I mean, I want kids really bad, but that part scares the crap. Yeah. Out of me. Just be prepared to be startled awake at any hour. <laughs> yes. I, but the problem is my first reaction is like violence. <laughs> violence. <laughs> Harboring a mother's instinct to help a child in need. The elderly woman hurried the children past her husband and into the front living room to warm them. The children followed obediently and sat down on the sofa. And once they were seated, the elderly couple sat with them and asked them questions. But the children remained silent and completely unresponsive. Like once they sat down, they weren't saying a single word. There was something about these. Yeah. To the fire. Savannah's gonna throw said kids into the fire. <laughs> hey, I'm with Savannah on that. That's my stance this is on this. Gretel now. <laughs> that is 100% my stance on this. Savannah, like, get the fireplace ready, girl. <laughs> Savannah's like, fuck I'm them kids. It, <laughs> <laughs> and I love children, but no. Uh, so there was something about these children that was deeply unsettling. Far from the harmless children they seemed to be. The man couldn't quite put his finger on it, but these children made him uncomfortable and on edge. It was then that he noticed their eyes. Their eyes were nothing but darkness. Their black eyes are devoid of any color as they have no discernible iris, pupil, or sclera. Their black eyes staring back at them, the elderly couple's faces of horror mirrored in those dark black portals. And instantly, the man starts to feel a wave of crippling dizziness and nausea. And he fell back into the armchair with blood pouring out of his nose down his face. Uh, No, 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 no. Call the Winchesters. (laughs) Fast. Call them for multiple reasons. Circle assault. Circle assault. (laughs) Exactly. 
Exactly. Oh, Dean, I'm dying. (laughs) Save me. So his wife gasped and she ran to the kitchen to bring a dish towel to hold against his nose to try to staunch the bleeding. But as she made her way back to her husband, the lights flickered and the power went out. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. And then all of a sudden in a sing-song tune, you hear this little girl go, No. no. My parents are here. No. (laughs) What in the fuck? No. No. Just nope. So nope. she took her assignment seriously. She said, I'm going to spoof She you. understood her assignment. You're doing a great 100%. job, Ray. <laughs> so the children stood up in the darkness and began to walk to the front door. And outside was a black classic American car and two men standing nearby in black suits. It's the no. Winchesters. It's not. They're in black suits. Oh, my gosh. Here come the men oh, in no. black. Oh, sorry. I was going to say men in black. I, I was just about to say every cell in my brain went, Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> the children climbed into the car and the four of them left together. The couple remained side by side in the dark, holding on to one another, terrified by what just happened. And 30 minutes later, the power came back on. The couple were relieved at first that the dreadful event had passed. But in the following months, the couple were plagued with dizzy spells and nosebleeds. Additionally, the old man was diagnosed with skin cancer, and one of their four cats died on the sofa where the kids sat from a hemorrhage. (gasps) The three other cats simply went missing. They vanished without a trace. Like, listen, demon child, you can go after who you want. That's fine, I guess. But you leave the damn animals out of this. Leave them alone. What did the kitties do? So the black-eyed children, also known as the black-eyed kids or BEKs, is an urban legend that was largely unheard of until the mid-1990s. And at that time, stories involving BEKs began to circulate online, which prompted more online users to come forward with their own experiences and stories. So the internet was still in its infancy, however, and people were eager to reach out to others online when they realized that this phenomenon was happening to more than just one person. So if you have one person saying they're experiencing something like strange, people kind of shrug it off like, oh, okay, you know, they could be they could be talking out of their ass. But when you have more than one person describing the same exact experience, it becomes hard to ignore after that. Even though, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just, I was going to agree. Like, that's like Nessie or Sasquatch. (laughs) It's Nessie. (laughs) Or aliens. Hey, aliens are real. Well, I know. That's what I'm saying. Eventually, it might come out as this is real. It's all real. It's not just urban legend. I don't know. I, I tend to believe it. But even though BEKs became a topic of discussion in the mid 90s, There were examples of these unwanted visitations that stretched way back, far before it was openly discussed. One of the earliest recorded examples dates back to 1950. A 16-year-old boy from rural, there's that word again, I can't say it, rural, Virginia, um, returned home to his parents in a state of sheer panic and hysteria. A young Harold Whitaker sobbed uncontrollably as he explained to his father that he had been walking home from school 
when he noticed a boy of similar age leaning against a nearby gatepost. This boy stepped in front of Harold and said, I want to go to your house. You will walk me to your house. Oh, what the? No. I think the fuck not. No. no. Oh, my God. Harold further explained that the boy's eyes had been pitch black and that he was suddenly overcome with a feeling of absolute terror. He also mentioned that he had a distinct impression that the other boy was reading his mind. Knowing what he was thinking, it was at this time that the BEK moved closer to him to block his path. He ordered Harold not to run, again demanding that he show him the way to his house. And it was at this point that Harold began to feel lightheaded and unable to think clearly. His mind felt fuzzy, and inside his mind there was an uncomfortable suggestion that began to form, urging him to comply. But Harold suddenly panicked and ran as fast as he could, all elbows and assholes, back to his house. (laughs) (laughs) Same, same, Harold, same. Oh, my God. So the last thing that Harold heard while he was running was an animal-like howl that echoed behind him. It's the hellhounds. It's the hellhounds. It's terrifying. Oh, my God. The story that first brought BEKs to the public was posted online by a man named Brian Bethel in 1996. Brian was a resident of Abilene, Texas, and he had written about his experience with a BEK he had that year. According to Brian, he was on North First Street by the Westwood Theater sitting in his car writing out a check when there was an unexpected knock on the driver's window. When he looked up to see who it was, he was surprised to see two young boys about the ages of 9 and 12 standing outside of his window. The boys were wearing hoodies that somewhat obscured their faces. Not thinking anything of it, he rolled down the window, not noticing anything out of the ordinary, and in a very monotone and emotionless tone, the older of the two informed Brian that they wanted to see a movie but they had no money and they needed a ride to their home so their mom could give them some money. Another look at the boys and Brian was suddenly struck by their penetrating jet black eyes, which seemed to pierce into his soul. Obviously disturbed by this child's demonic appearance, Brian made up whatever excuse he could come up with and told the boys that he couldn't help them. It was at this point that the children began to be visibly angry and they urged him further to let them into his car. Suddenly, Brian noticed that his arm was reaching for the door handle against his will. As if by some form of compulsion, the kid was mind-controlling him to open the door. No, no, no. What in the stranger things? (laughs) No, thank you. I'll see myself out. This is horrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Brian quickly rolled his window up and locked the car doors. As the children banged their fists on the window, yelling at him, saying, We can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. Let us in. He drove off as quickly as he could, terrified but alive. And as he sped off... He looked up into the rearview mirror only to realize that the two boys had completely disappeared, almost as if they had not been there at all. 
they were vampire bankers, weren't they? they vampire, <laughs> vampire bankers. Yes, I agree. I think so. <laughs> you have it's to invite like him. He can't come boys. in unless you say it's okay. It's just like the Lost Boys. Yeah. Have you guys uh, seen that movie? Yes. yes, I love the Lost Boys. And the actually. mom starts dating the head vampire, but doesn't realize. And then after yes. the fact, they realize, like, oh, he yes. was always so polite. He yeah. was asking to come. Oh my god. Ooh. So Brian appeared on the TV show Monsters and Mysteries in America, where he told his story. And after it was publicized, more people began to come forward with stories of their own. So Brian also did an interview with Strange Chronicles from the Graveyard Shift, which you can find on YouTube. I'll see what I can do to provide a link for that, but we're going to move on. This more recent encounter took place in the English countryside of Staffordshire in 2004. That's like the most recent story that I could find. But at the Canuck Chase Nature Reserve is where this allegedly took place. So on the morning of September 13th, a young couple was walking their dog through the reserve, proceeding down the main path toward an area known as Style Cop. There was an unmistakable sound of a small child giggling somewhere in the tree line they were passing. That's a fuck no for me. When they stopped to take a look, the giggling would abruptly stop. And when they turned to continue their walk, they were frozen in place as they noticed a little girl blocking their path. She was a pale child that wore an old-fashioned white dress, her hair matching the time period of the clothing, and her emotionless and unblinking stare with those black-as-night eyes that held their attention. She had an unsettling smile upon her face as she stood frozen, staring in their direction. She didn't respond or even move at all as the couple asked her questions. When the couple's dog began to cautiously approach the girl, she turned and ran back into the thick of the woods, laughing to herself. No, ma'am. Stay away Just, from my dog. J- right. Stay, stay away from everything. Like, no. No. No, she didn't lure the dog, did she? No, no. Luckily, okay. no. The dog is fine. Okay, Doggo good. is good. But the couple went to the local newspaper with the haunting story, still unsure of what it was that they witnessed firsthand. The husband recalled to the papers that the little girl's head was eerily cocked to one side, and the angle in which her head was turned seemed uncomfortable and unnatural, almost as if she had been hanged or her neck was broken in some way. Oh, no. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness goodness fucking gracious i'm not gonna sleep tonight <laughs> <laughs> the couple's oh. experience was just two of many individuals who encountered this apparition or little girl at canic chase repeated sightings of this particular bek has given rise to a number of theories about who or what this mysterious child might be Local residents believe that the black-eyed girl in question is the ghost of a murder victim from Canuck Chase. During the mid-1960s, a series of brutal killings took place along the A-34 route in Staffordshire, later known as the Canuck Chase murders. 
The bodies of six-year-old Margaret Reynolds and five-year-old Diana Tift were found half-hidden in a ditch at Manstee Gully in January of 1966. Both of these girls were abducted from different parts of the West Midlands while they were traveling to and from school several months prior to being found. The following year, in 1967, another body was found less than a mile away, and she was identified as seven-year-old Christine Darby. Local authorities got their big breakthrough on the case in November of 1968 when witnesses came forward regarding an attempted kidnapping of a 10-year-old girl from Walsall. This failed abduction would provide police with the car's license plate number, which resulted in the arrest of a man named Raymond Leslie Morris. Raymond was already known to the authorities because he had an obsession with really young girls, and he had been one of the suspects they interviewed in the disappearance of Christine Darby. Now, while he was being held in custody for the abduction, his wife admitted to the police officers that he talked her into providing him with a false alibi for the day of Christine's disappearance. He was eventually convicted for her murder, and he died in prison in 2014, which made him one of England's longest surviving prisoners ever. Despite Raymond never being convicted of the murders of Diane and Margaret, it was long believed that he had been responsible for their deaths, and coincidentally, or not, the reports of this ghostly girl at Canuck Chase started to come to light soon after his incarceration. So, as I said before, the locals believe that this man is responsible for the appearance of this apparition, and showing up at Canuck Chase as the young girl's spirit is unable to rest. So a lot of people do believe that the BEKs could be apparitions of deceased children from another time. Because, I mean, they are normally dressed from a different era, supposedly. And just the demeanor that people have reported these children have is somewhat fitting, I believe. But the majority of cases involving BEKs are either too isolated or an instance or too bizarre in nature to track back to one local ghost story mainly because every interaction is different, but the BEKs remain the same in description. Some people believe that rather than being a confused or misguided spirit, these individuals are actually possessed by a far more malevolent entity. To the ancient Celtic tribes of the UK, it's believed that children with black eyes were demons that walked about our plane of existence in search of blood rituals and sacrifices. One of my sources said, in Native American cultures, allegedly black-eyed people were believed to be similar to the Wendigo, in that they were unfortunate victims of an evil entity with hostile intentions. The Iroquois allegedly refer to this spirit as Otkon, which is a malevolent being whose goal was to infect key members of the tribe and gradually turn them all against one another starting with the most vulnerable prey, which was the children. I'm not a, I, I am by far not an expert on Native American stories or legends. If this is untrue and you can provide me with answers, please email me. I would love to be educated further on this subject. But as recently as 2017, the inhabitants of the Oglala Lakota Reservation, located at the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota, called in a shaman to investigate and bless a home. 
It all began when two sisters saw a black-eyed boy outside their home. Not long after that, a group of ashen-white-skinned children with black eyes were seen congregating around the edge of their property in an attempt to interact with the other children living there. Are you good? Oh I see you over here. No, kids oh, don't make friends. We are all making faces. <laughs> this is just so, the imagery no. is just beyond creepy. It is beyond creepy. I think it's beyond ghosts. I think I it's agree. way beyond ghosts. I totally think it's like some sort of entity. It is not ghosts. Right. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel that way too. Like, good fucking grief. <laughs> or could it be that the entity is possessing ghosts and bringing them back? <gasps> oh. To the metaphysical. Plot twist. Plot twist. I, I don't know if ghosts can be possessed. Can we find a ghost and ask them? <laughs> Quick, pull out the talking uh, no. board. <laughs> I just I was just about to say no. I just listened to Engage's episode on the talking board. Oh yeah. Oh, I haven't listened to that on yet. Luigi boards. The good oh, old Luigi you. boards. I I know. Just know. <laughs> I have a very close uh, relationship with a ghost. So. Yeah, Savannah can sometimes talk to ghosts without a board. So we'll let you handle that. <laughs> that makes me sound psycho. <laughs> <laughs> no, Don't uh, worry, Savannah. Best... <laughs> I just realized I have some sort of clairvoyancy. So, you know, there's that. No, my best friend has a ghost. And yes. his name is Jacob. And he's my home slice. That's awesome. <laughs> and so maybe I'll just ask Jacob, yo... Can you be possessed? <laughs> right? So they were trying to encourage the children on the reservation to play with them. The children described their voices as not normal, robotic, and monotone, with eyes filled with darkness, devoid of any soul. Yes, because oh, that's how demons sound. <laughs> I'm so done. I right. <laughs> hey, little boy, you want a balloon? <laughs> uh uh-uh. uh. That was not nice. <laughs> so, the first two occasions, there were only two of them, and the BEKs asked the children to be let inside the house to get food and shelter. The third time, a third BEK showed up, and this time they asked if they had any blood to spare. Pets also went missing <laughs> around Whoa, this time. We're not going to sneak past that. Like, you just didn't say what you just said. <laughs> Spare blood. Definitely, uh, well, definitely no, not me. Definitely not me. And demons don't eat. The first one was, do you have any food? Right? Yeah. Yep. Demons don't eat. Or do I they? Don't know. Maybe they. That's the creepy part they? of this. I My don't bowls. know. My brain is being bullied. Do they? Do they love Reese? <laughs> what about love Reese pumpkins? pumpkins? Only the pumpkins. Or pixie sticks. They probably do love pixie sticks. Yeah, demons look like they'd like pixie sticks. So pets also went missing around this time, around the property. And the parents also recalled seeing the children as the BEKs would ask the adults for food and shelter in their dull, monotone voices. And the parents claimed to have noticed strange events around their home, including poltergeist activity and the sighting of, on at least two occasions, Strange entities that they later thought to be aliens. The BEKs were never granted access inside any of the homes. In fact, after the shaman gave his blessings, the encounter stopped altogether. Not only has this been analyzed from a spiritual perspective, 
but also from a perspective of secret government testing. Whip out your tinfoil hat, family. This is about to get really weird. Dang it. I didn't bring my tinfoil hat. Alicia I got, got her my- one last year for Christmas, <laughs> she too. She did. I still have it. It's in a drawer. I should have I absolutely it. love it. I love it, too. It's a great bit. <laughs> in a significant number of encounters, such as the Vermont story, witnesses describe seeing the children meeting up with or being picked up by what people believe are the men in black. There's Will Smith again. I just saw him. Yeah, that is leading me to believe aliens, but it's just weird to me that aliens would take a human form. Well, who's to say? You know what? Let me not because I will go off on a whole tangent. But listen, (laughs) listen, sometimes these intimidating individuals are seen driving these children around in their black cars. In other situations, the men in black have either ushered the BEKs away, or visited their victims in the aftermath of the encounter. So this began the theory that the children may be extraterrestrial in origin, or they are human children who have been abducted and assimilated in some way by aliens. Yeah, like the aliens like probed themselves into the human. BEKs obviously possess some level of psychic persuasion and the ability to harm people they encounter. This might suggest that they are part of some sinister government program that has created these test subjects that seem to escape and the men in black are trying to contain them. But of course, there is also the possibility that this is nothing more than an urban legend or a creepypasta. But don't you think it's weird how so many people who are not connected to each other in any way, by the way, could all describe the same thing with exact descriptions that match what other people are describing? Like, that's a little weird. It's definitely a little weird. I'm kind of on board with the Illuminati theory. I mean, I mean, I could see it, though. There's really no telling with this one. There's no telling. Yeah. But let's think about this for a second. Like, we all know Scalera contacts exist. I mean, especially Gage and I, because, you know, I have black Scalera contacts at home. But I guess what I'm getting at is the same thing that Brian was saying. Like, could they have been contacts? Sure. But Scaleras were not available to the public during the 90s. And it makes more sense in modern times because they're so cheap now. But back then, Scaleras were only used in Hollywood, and they were like $500 at the time. Yes. And they're uncomfortable, so for a child to wear them doesn't make sense. No, not at all, definitely. I was just about to say that. The first time I put Scalera contacts in my eyes, the scream that I scrumped. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm just going to leave it at that. It was awful. (laughs) I've never worn them, but they scare me. So it is also entirely possible that environmental conditions such as lighting may have given the appearance that the eyes are completely black, but let's be real here. You could sit and analyze lighting and the way it falls on a person's face, but there is absolutely one thing that is not going to happen in any of those scenarios. There is no way that simple lighting is going to completely black out sclera, pupil, and iris of an eyeball. Like, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. Also, I just believe that, like, humans typically, we know what we see. Like, we know if it's wrong, you know? You know if the vibes are off. Yeah. Right. And there was more to it than just seeing them. Like, yeah, if people were just saying, oh, I saw 
these kids and they looked like they had black eyes, but there's so much more to it. They interacted with them. The, the people bleeds. felt compelled to do things they mm-hmm. wouldn't normally do. The nosebleeds, the cat dying. the Like yeah, it's a lot. I think there's way more to it. So I'm going to close today's little, you know, story with this last thought. What I find interesting about this particular legend is that no one has caught this phenomenon on camera. No one ever has. And of course, that makes sense with the much older stories. But this legend is still circulating to this day during an age of smartphones and more advanced surveillance cameras. But these witnesses have not been able to capture a single piece of compelling evidence to confirm or deny their existence. But even if we had solid evidence that they existed, we would only be left with more unanswered questions, and the mystery that surrounds these beings would be all that's left for us. Dun, dun, dun. I'm not going to bed tonight. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah, my fiance works late, so I'm going to be in my house all alone (laughs) in the dark. (laughs) You have... Cooper and Maisie. He'll be fine. Yeah, Cooper's pretty. <laughs> He's a good boy. He is. Well, that was well, terrifying. I would say thank you, but no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, this has really been so much fun. I just can't even believe that you guys can tolerate us enough to like want us on your show. Like that's <laughs> oh my that's gosh, like Kate. wild. <laughs> we love you guys. We and we're so annoying. So wild. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us. We're yeah. so Thank you so excited. much for having us. It is the happiest of Halloweens. Of course. And thank you so much for having us on Gold Report. So when you finish yeah. this, first, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to go leave a pumpkin emoji. Yes. On our Instagram post. All of the pumpkin emojis. Enter yourself in for Sunday shout outs. And then you're going to go to the link in this podcast episode's description. And you're going to click to go listen to the Gore Report episode. Woo! Woo! We promise it won't get any better. (laughs) It's going to get worse. (laughs) Well, we hope you have a happy Halloween. Yep. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. (laughs) Till next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com. Bye.